The Skylock 9 wasn't a big boat. She's actually what the Scots would call a wee boat. She's known for being a Dunkirk little ship and a big part of Scotland's World War II history. But she had a whole other life before and after Dunkirk. Her story goes back 88 years. That's even further back than Rose's flashback story from the Titanic. She was made in 1934 and came straight out of Bournemouth. She was built to be a pleasure boat, which means that back in the day she would play a big part in people's days out at the seaside. Trust me when I tell you she must have seen a lot of Brits get sunburned in her time. When the Skylock 9 was six years old, which is pretty young for us, but I don't know what that translates to in boat years, war had broken out and she had got called to play a part in it. It was World War II and the war was being lost at that point. Allied soldiers were retreating and the Nazis were chasing them out. 300,000 soldiers made their way to the beaches of Dunkirk on the north coast of France. They were stranded there. The Navy couldn't bring in their ships to get them out because the water was too shallow. So they needed smaller boats to go over and rescue them. That was where the Skylark 9 played her part in the war during Operation Dynamo. She was one of the little boats who got to the beaches of Dunkirk to reach the soldiers and take them to the bigger boats that were waiting for them in the English Channel. That's how she went from being a pleasure boat to becoming a war hero. After that, she stayed true to her roots and went back to being a pleasure boat again. The girl had a dual identity, like Peter Parker in Spider-Man. Some older people would remember the phrase, all aboard the Skylark. Claire McDade, the project manager of the Skylark 9 Recovery Project, which is a national lottery-funded charity, remembers watching a cartoon about the Skylark when she was a kid. And that was a famous thing. And when she watched Dunkirk, she couldn't help but thinking about how horrific it was for that little boat to be a part of that story. It still sends shivers down my spine, the idea of, of our little boat. In the 1950s, the Skylark 9 found herself in Scotland. Two decades later, in the 70s, she was in Loch Lomond. This was an era where she was grooving it up as a pleasure boat. People would take her out on the waters for parties, booze cruises and day trips. I'm telling you, she must have seen some harrowing things in Dunkirk and some wild things in her time as a pleasure boat. In 2010, when she was older and unsafe to use as a commercial boat, she was sold and ended up sinking. I'll let Claire tell you the rest. All the local people, there was local veterans, local boat clubs, they got together. It was like an SOS went out into the local press and they saw this and said, we can't let this little boat die. We can't let her story die and rot in the water. There was a big appeal and they got the Royal Navy to come out. There's a base nearby and they came and actually raised the boat. This charity actually ended up getting set up, the Skylark 9 Recovery Trust, which is the charity now that runs and owns and looks after the boat. The trust raised all this money, over £400,000 from the National Lottery Heritage Fund, to whom we are eternally grateful, to help us rebuild the boat and then refloat her. But really importantly, 
it was also about recovery of people. So the big vision was that we were going to get some boat builders to start training up people from the recovery community, teach them skills in boat building and repair the boat. We've got this kind of little banner headline, Recovery Through Recovery, which is really important for us because it's about using the boat and her story of heroism and recovery of people's lives from the beaches of Dunkirk and inspiring people who are suffering from addictions today in their recovery journey. So involving them to actually save this little boat. Before I carry on, I just want to give you a trigger warning. On this episode, you'll hear about drug abuse and depression. If that's not for you, you can check out our other episodes. Every superhero has their own theme music or even their own catchphrase. The Skylock Nines is recovery through recovery. It might seem like a weird thing to do, combining the recovery of a boat with remembrance and the recovery journey of those with addictions, but it just works like peanut butter and jelly. Claire became project manager of the trust in November, 2019. Four months into her role, me, you, Claire, and the rest of the UK were all in lockdown. Claire's lockdown journey started with Jade, who she had just hired to be her volunteer community person. My first day of employment was literally the day lockdown hit, so it was a bit mad. And Jay, who she had hired to teach boat building. I wasn't a boaty person. I grew up on the coast, mm-hmm. but I wasn't into boats. It took to actually be involved in building a boat to suddenly realise that not only was this thing just amazing to look at, but it had such a strong sense of purpose as well. The three of them got on a Zoom call and were like, what are we going to do now? It was one of those moments in life where you either say, you know what, we can't do this, or you look around for inspiration to keep you going. And they had the biggest inspiration of all, the Skylock Nine. They were inspired by the story of her own recovery and her resilience. It made them feel like they couldn't give up. We're talking about real people's lives here and needing to show them that we can be resilient and that even if you hit a bit of a problem, you can get over it. So they decided to teach people how to build boats over Zoom. Not actual boats, but small model boats. And that wasn't the only thing that didn't go to plan. We realised actually we couldn't rebuild the boat. A naval structural engineer came in and reviewed the boat and he said actually it's not fixable and it would be way too expensive to actually try and rebuild. We all kind of got together as a trust and said, well, what else could we do? And we've now come up with a mad plan to build a centre in Dumbarton, which will be a recovery centre for people. It'll be for health and wellbeing, for skills building, for remembrance, because we want to continue with that sense of remembrance for those whose lives have been lost and for those that have given their lives. We will display Skylark in all her broken beauty we won't repair her and repaint her. We'll show her wounds and show, you know, this is a boat that has lived. And that is so important because it's about saying you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to look like this or look like that. It's about what the story is embodied by this little boat and how it can inspire all of us. One of the people keeping the Skylock story going is Jade Walker-West. 
She went from being a volunteer at the charity to becoming the community engagement coordinator. A big part of what she does is keep the Skylark 9 story alive via social media. While I'm talking about people who keep the Skylark story alive, I need to talk about Harry Styles fans. You know he was in the film Dunkirk. Before it came out, his fans heard about the Skylark 9 story and how the boat couldn't be in the reenactment of the beach evacuation because of how battered she was. Harry's fans got involved with the fundraising drive for her, spreading the word on socials. Harry's mum even showed support and donated. Thanks, Mrs. Styles. Jade doesn't call herself a Harry Styles fan. She might be in denial, you know, because she definitely is. I'm still going to meet Harry Styles for this project. <laughs> she loves listening to Fall In when she's in a certain mood or when she's thinking about certain people. She loves that bit in Watermelon Sugar where Harry goes, Baby, you're the end of June. She left school when she was 16. She was smart, but school was tough for her. She got pretty standard grades and was in and out of a couple of college courses. She did art and design, communications and media, but dropped out and ended up doing childcare. She actually wanted to stick with childcare, but she wasn't allowed to do her HNC. She was told she was too disruptive. And actually, I would still say to this day, I can be pretty disruptive because I don't take things too seriously. So there's times in like meetings and stuff where I'll just be like super inappropriate and then I'm just like, oh, I need to calm down. <laughs> Jade got the job at Skylock 9's Recovery Trust while she was studying a BA in Community Development at the University of Glasgow. I applied to Glasgow Uni too, but I didn't go. I applied though. When she was on placement with Alternatives Drug Recovery Service, she used to share an office with Claire. That was how she heard about the role and her journey with the Skylock 9 began. One thing I haven't told you about Jade yet is that she's got a personal connection to people in recovery because of her uncle. We lost him to addiction, unfortunately, at a young age. He was 45. I hadn't really thought about how that had affected me much until I had the opportunity to start understanding addiction. I'm super close to my grandparents and, you know, through his addiction, he would steal from them all the time. And, you know, his behaviours were just pretty despicable a lot of the time. Being younger, I didn't really respect the fact that he was struggling with this awful disease that addiction is, and I couldn't understand it, and it was hurtful, because here's this person I love and adore so much that's hurting other people I love and adore, and it was just the hardest thing to go through. You know, through this opportunity, I wanted to go into alternatives and learn what was that like for him, or what must that have been like, and how can I pay honour and respect to his legacy by doing what I can now as a conscious adult, to actually go on and really understand people and what they're going through there and do my bit to promote change locally, especially when it comes to stigma against addiction. And mm-hmm. I had other family members and still do have close family members really struggling with addiction just now. And I think, if anything, Alternatives offered me a place to learn and actually be someone who can support people as well. So that's what inspired me to get involved there. Mm-hmm. Where did you find the strength from to like want to understand what your uncle was going through? I guess from my upbringing, you know, I've had it pretty rough. So I think I already have a lot of resilience because of that. So nothing tends to shock me really. And I can sort of deal with a lot if you like, and I can cope with a lot. I don't know, there's just a natural resilience, I think, when you've been through stuff that I've been through or whatever. And I think this is really about me just respecting 
others and sort of wanting to go through life being the best version of myself because it makes you feel better when you know that you're got an open mind and you're respecting people rather than just judging people like you know I almost feel closer to my uncle since his passing oddly so it's a real shame that he's gone but at the same time in his spirit this kind of work can continue and it's just another example of why recovery is so important and it's great to have be working with people in recovery all the time because then you get hope there you know you can never truly understand someone unless you accept that they haven't been through exactly the same things as you. James Curry is a volunteer trainee in recovery at the Skylock 9 Recovery Trust. What's funny is that when James got told that he'd be making a boat, he was like, nah, a real boat? That just doesn't sound right, no, because I just <laughs> built a boat and it was like a wee tiny thing and I'm like, I'm going to build a real boat now. So I was like, I will get a bash. You know that pressure that you sometimes feel to look, act or be a certain way? I feel like that at times, especially with social media and trying to create this perfect picture and perfect bodies and perfect faces. And it gets really hard. James knows all about that too. He felt that same pressure when he started drinking when he was 16. He felt like there was pressure on him to be someone else. Going to school and stuff like that, I was always kind of wanting people to kind of look at me and all that. When I was in school, I felt like I wanted to be wanted and liked and stuff like that. Like people would go, oh, look at him and I just the outrageous things and all that. I was feeling like I just didn't know myself, I didn't know who I was meant to be. So I ended up creating this character up and it wasn't even me. I picked up alcohol when I was like 16 to feel like if I was part of the party and all that and and I felt like I needed substances and stuff like that to make me fit in and I never knew any other way, you know, how to communicate with people and stuff like that, how to build up friendships with people. I thought I always had to be on some kind of substance to actually be the person I thought I was and I continued on that journey for 30 odd years. James has been in recovery a couple of times Sometimes the perception of recovery is that you go once and everything gets fixed, but it's actually an ongoing process. The thing that changed everything for James was when he felt like he was at the end of the road. He was broken. He thought no one cared about him or loved him. I I never had any self-worth or I never had good people doing about us. Somehow, he realised that he was feeling sorry for himself and things changed. I knew I had to accept that I didn't want to live like that any longer. And I finally conceded to myself that, right, that's it, I'm done. 80-odd years, 30-odd years, I mean, I was a year sober three weeks ago. That's a, a, a full year without even taking a drink or a mind-altering substance or anything. And that's amazing. And the gratitude I've got now, because I'm not living in the past. Going like, oh, how did that happen and all that? No, I try to live my life in the moment now. Here I am sitting in a studio, this is surreal, you know what I mean? Because there's no way I could have done that, I, I would have been restless, discontent and just all the place, I'd be like, there's no way I could have sat here. To just be able to do this and be able to achieve things in uh, the Skylark project, I can sit down and have an actual proper conversation with someone and tell them how I'm feeling. That was the problem, No, I bottled all the thoughts and feelings up. I never felt like I could talk to people. In recovery, it's just people who want me to do the best and encouraging me along the way. 
Jay Bradley, the board building project manager that you heard about earlier on, is part of the community board building team at the charity. He mentors those in recovery, including James, and teaches them how to build boats. Jay went on a different kind of recovery journey of his own. He was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, also known as MA, in 2003. You know, I'd, I'd been a very fit and active person before uh, I got ill. I'd been a mountain biker and was really into just kind of outdoor pursuits and things like that. And to go from that to a good day, being able to get out of bed and onto the couch was rough. It was really, really hard. I was housebound for a couple of years and it was still quite a long process from there for me to get back to a point where I could actually physically and mentally kind of cope with work and being out in the world again. It took about eight years for Jay to make enough of a physical and mental recovery to start getting back out into the world again. Jay decided to go to college and realised he didn't want to spend all of his time working in an office especially after being stuck in his house for so long. That was when he found Gal Gale, a Glasgow-based organisation similar to the Skylock Nine. I came out of that into a space very like the space I hope I'm providing for James and for other people, where there was a great belief in the process, you know, the work being the therapy, and just this sense of there being nothing that you could do that wasn't repairable or that you couldn't start again from. Gal Gale works with those in recovery from addiction and mental health issues, as well as the long-term unemployed, on boat building and woodworking projects that give people purpose, skills and support so that they can reclaim their future. Their motto is, the work is the therapy. And after Jay did a woodworking programme with them, he felt the same way. Gal Gale was fantastic in terms of providing that space, you know, with people there who trusted me and who believed in me and who could help instill a sense of pride in me again. But yeah, it's been it's been a long journey. Throughout that process, I, I pretty much kind of got to the point where I knew I wanted to carry on with that. I wanted to kind of give that opportunity that I'd been given to other people. I think you might be getting an idea of how the concept of recovery through recovery works for pretty much anyone who's involved in this project. I love how it works on so many levels, starting with the Skylark Nine herself recovering soldiers from the beaches of Dunkirk. That is one form of recovery where she literally saved people's lives. And then with her falling into disrepair and being saved, being brought out of the water, it's about her recovery. And then it's the recovery of our clients through Alternatives Community Recovery Service by giving them opportunities to learn new skills, to work in a team, to feel like they're not just stigmatised as drug addicts, that there is more to them and that people see that. And that's been really important that when people come and we've had the doors open as much as possible to the boat building workshop and people walk by it and we've got some banners up that just explain what's going on. And for some people in the community, this may be the first time they've ever knowingly interacted in a positive way with somebody with addiction issues. And it's that thing of, you know, saying that these guys have innate self-worth and they are worthy as much as anybody else of doing well in life and that we all hit rocks and we all hit those bumps in the road. And now here they are coming round and trying to turn their lives around. 
And that's what a Skylark is all about. She's been through these journeys. She's a symbol of that recovery and resilience. And we want that to be very much the touchstone. Hitting bumps in the road isn't anything to be ashamed of. And I love that about the Skylark 9 story. Right now, I've hit so many bumps, I don't even know which one to tell you about. I was watching Euphoria the other day and Rue said something about reducing people's lives to a moment. I don't know why we do this all the time. We zoom in and focus on something bad that's happened to us or we do it to others. The tabloids and the media do exactly the same thing. But the thing is, life is so much more than one moment. Jade experienced a failure in her life that she laughs about now. You know, I failed history in high school, which is hilarious to me. It's the only thing I failed. And now I work for a heritage project. It's just like, <laughs> what? That makes no sense. But I love that it makes no sense. I seen an interesting trend last year and it was like, hashtag no wrong path. And I think like my position in this project is a perfect example of that. That's something our project offers is just really kind of giving people more than they realise that they could aspire to. Jade went through the worst depression she's experienced from October to January. If it wasn't for the safety her team provided for her, she knows she would have struggled with that depression for much longer. Claire wanted Jade to take time off, but Jade was adamant about doing one day a week. She would do whatever she could manage whilst Claire was in the background telling the rest of the team not to overload her with too much work. When you've had trauma in your past, anything that causes stress in life, like uni, can bring things up. Jade was struggling with her mental health at uni, as well as dealing with imposter syndrome and anxiety. A lot of the course content, especially sort of social justice issues, really helped me, I suppose you could say, recognise the injustices that I had faced, which was triggering for me. It was difficult, but I was able to come out the other end of it with the support of the disability services. You know, I'd been diagnosed with anxiety and depression and I was really well supported mentally, which helped me get through it all. And I know you mentioned you had anxiety earlier. I got really bad anxiety and imposter syndrome as well. I think for me, I went on a TV show and I came out and it was like I had a completely different life. So I get imposter syndrome quite often. And I was just wondering, like, did you ever see yourself working in the kind of role that you do now and managing your anxiety at the same time? Yeah, I guess like anxiety is a bit of a creeper, isn't it? You never quite realise it until you're going through it. And then all of a sudden you're a bit like, oh, this is anxiety. And I'm lucky I can name it. You know, that's taken a long time and a lot of hard work with my counsellor and stuff to recognise what it was I was experiencing because I guess it was so normal my whole life that I just thought, oh, this is me. You know, I'm not confident I'm this, I'm that. I can't even say the negative stuff now because I just don't talk to myself like that anymore, really. You know, I went to like youth camps and stuff when I was younger that were sponsored through people through the church and without those experiences, I wouldn't have developed into the person that I am. Like, I really recognise because I've lived it how important these opportunities are for people that are community-based. We underestimate the absolute value of the connections made through bringing people together from different walks of life. Jade's self-worth grew big time after all of the hard work she put in at uni. She knew that even though she was working on triggering subjects, she could still help people. When she was younger, she didn't feel like anyone was proud of her. So when she sees vulnerable people achieve something, she feels like screaming, yes, that's amazing. For Jade, it's not about her anymore. It's about the participants. 
the Skylark team lost one of their participants to a relapse last year. It was a heartbreaking time, but they took solace in the memories they had with them. They managed to track down some unreleased video footage of them from a TV interview and shared it with their family. That's the kind of stuff that matters to Jade now. She's all about helping people. But there are times where she can't help, like when the people she's working with face discrimination. We've had colleagues and friends who are three years in recovery and they're going into a chemist because they're going in for work to support a client and being told, sorry, you need to stand outside your bard. Now they're there with their work lanyard on. And I remember hearing that story and I only know this person that I'm talking about in recovery and it blew my mind. I was so angry as a friend, as a colleague. I couldn't understand how on earth could somebody turn you away from the door? You're the most incredible, kind, thoughtful, spiritual, amazing woman. So inspiring. And you're being turned away from a door. And I remember hearing the same thing as well about a big chain and the high street as well that also had barred her years ago even though she'd made amends with the manager because that's something through I think the 12th book that no, it's, it's one of the steps that mm-hmm. you make amends for anybody you've done wrong to and so this lady had made amends to this manager and was told sorry but you're still not able to come in people in recovery fight a battle every day that we can't even begin to imagine you know I'm fortunate enough not to be in recovery mm-hmm. and I can't even imagine what that must feel like going through the time when you know you've worked so hard. I mean, I know in my own journey how hard I've worked to live day by day, never mind being in recovery. Yeah. But to walk down your own town with your child who you've got contact with and then to be saying to your kid, oh, sorry, we can't go in there to buy sweeties, I'm not allowed in. Yeah. How must that make that person feel? Or, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, I couldn't get your medication for you because the pharmacy wouldn't let me in. As much as we can talk about the beauty of recovery, there's still darkness out there, there's still stigma affecting people. Yeah. But what I found incredible was the reaction from the person I'm talking about. They said, that's okay. I'm okay with that because I understand that this person might need time. And I was just like, this is what this is all about. (laughs) And people kick people in recovery or in addiction to the curb, but that's the level of spirituality we're talking about. And I think our project, the transformative space that's created in the workshop, this is what we're learning. See the power of working and learning together like that from one another. It's something really special and amazing to be a part of. I think for a lot of people, when they think about discrimination, they wouldn't think about addicts or those that are in recovery I think the first things that you normally think about are like sexism and racism James did you ever feel like you were discriminated against because where your life had taken you I really was not aware of it to be honest because I was in such a condition I was just happy just going about the way I was going and I thought that was just me because I just as I was saying I just didn't know who me was I probably did feel a wee bit discriminated against but that was all my own doing. I'm always looking for excuses and stuff like that. I would have been like, oh, why do they think of me like that? Well, that was the power of addiction. You know, I never done these things because I wanted to. I'd done them because I was driven to do it. Here he comes. Main man himself, James Dubai. Good morning. Good morning. 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 I've been lucky to experience these stories over and over again. So now I have an understanding that when I pass an addict in the street, you know, I don't have any judgment towards them. I understand this person struggling. Mm. What must they have went through? 
I treat people as a human being that they are opposed to looking at them and thinking they're worthless Mm -hmm. and I think this is the absolute importance of you sitting here today sober and sharing this story because Mm -hmm. that's teaching other people who might look at somebody who's broken a little bit differently and then that's when we start to see societal change yep yep totally and attitudes towards addicts and those in recovery have been changing thanks to the open door policy on the boat building project like Claire said earlier, the doors to boat building workshops would always be open. So people would stop by, have a chat, and get to know the participants, including James. The whole process of building a boat and speaking to members of the public has really helped James with his confidence, especially after he was in the local paper. Once you've seen the whole story in, in the Herald, they start to get to know me, start to get to know my name. Mm-hmm. They're actually coming and asking if they could volunteer or asking me a questions about it for them to ask me. You know, people that have no struggled in addiction, but they've been struggling in other ways, like maybe families and stuff like that. And they've become very good friends now. I probably didn't think people wanted to talk to me or know me or, or stuff like that. That's been a process and that's been a massive part how I'm able to sit here right now because I've learned all the skills that I never actually had. Well, I did have, but I just didn't ever use because I was so shut down. To be able to pick up the tools and stuff like that that I hadn't even picked up since school, picking up lathes and chisels and power drills and the therapeutic benefits that I've got are just amazing. You know, just be working with all the tools and being able to just be trusted. I wasn't feeling like pressure or anything. It was just like, look, anything can be fixed. Just do what you're doing as long as you're enjoying it. You know what I mean? No one's here to judge you and go, oh, you've not done that right. No, it was just go with the flow and I always felt really valued in there. It's, it's gave me a, a real sense of value. The confidence it's gave me has been amazing. It's been, uh, I'll never really thank my fellows no, as much, you know what I mean? Because I've been there for his through fucking fun. This guy's done like over 250 hours of voluntary work uh, and touched every single part of that uh, rowing that boat that boat. we've built. So it's a lot to be proud of there. Yeah. We named it as well. The boat's called Happy Days. No, and it's just multicoloured. It's pink and yellow and blue. And... Why was it called Happy Days? Because we're just a happy bunch. <laughs> we called the boat Happy Days because Rebecca and I were doing mm-hmm. a, a video for Volunteer Week mm-hmm. last year. And it was so funny. We said to James, right, James, we'll get you in front of the camera. Just candid. Tell us what you love about volunteering, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> James at the end of the video was like is that me then I happy days and me and Rebecca <laughs> went, the whole it? rest of the summer yeah. we just like kept saying happy, happy days. days it was such an iconic James moment happy days and then Jay was like that'd be such a good name for the boat it just really encompasses how everybody feels when we're in uh, that workshop it does it's perfect mm-hmm. James boat sounds cute I might have to take up for a ride when I visit I think working with your hands frees up your brain to just kind of go over some of the stuff. Happy Days was born with the help of Jay. The work really did become the therapy. You know, whether it's trauma or whether it's, you know, the littlest things, it frees up your mind to kind of actually think about that stuff in the background while your hands are busy. Yeah. The, The thing for me about boats, though, 
There's the fact that you're not just building this kind of beautiful object, a lot of woodworking in particular, you know, you're making something that's really lovely to look at, but it doesn't do much. Or even if it's a piece of furniture that's functional, it doesn't quite have the aesthetic balance that a boat does. There's something just really pleasing to the eye about a really <laughs> lovingly hand-built wooden boat. The way like, a boat is, it helps carry people across the water, basically. That's what it's for me, helping carry someone when they're down. Someone's lifting them up and showing them that there's a better way, there's a better path. Just showing them a, a new lease of life, you know what I mean? Jay and James have come such a long way on their own recovery journeys. And you know what? A lot of the time we probably don't stop to look back and see how far we've come. And we just keep going and focusing on the next thing. I've done that plenty of times myself. Jade's counsellor usually talks about how far she's come in her journey, but she doesn't usually give herself the credit that she deserves. But when she turned 30, something changed. Turning 30 there for me, it was the first time where I was able to read my birthday cards and stuff that people had written. And every single card had a really beautiful message in it. And I remember saying to my counsellor, I was sitting in my living room and I was looking around the room at all these beautiful coloured cards and was really enjoying all this colour in the space in my living room. And I thought to myself for the first time, I actually feel what other people are saying to me and could really take that in and feel that way myself. And it was quite a, an amazing moment because I guess I've been lucky throughout my life where people have always been really kind and encouraging and I've had amazing mentors, some of the people I've mentioned. I guess like it was quite a nice moment on my birthday to be able to be like, you know what? These people are right and I, I trust what they're saying. And I think I've never really been able to do that. And I think it's just all the hard work that I've put into myself recently and sort of seeing, you know, the work that I do come to fruition through other people's lives and my own. It's inspiring and I think getting to 30, it's that sort of reflective moment where you're looking into a new decade of your life and you look back and I just feel super blessed to be where I am just now and like I have the greatest support network around me. And I think my birthday, I had a table of 22 people sat together and it was people from all different circles of my life and at one moment I just sat and looked at that table up and down and I just thought I love you all so much <laughs> and you just love me just as much back and I think I've recognised at this age how important it is to have the people around you who actually care about you the same way you do them otherwise it's a total waste of energy. Jade's got me feeling all emotional now. I don't know if you could tell from what she was saying, but Jade's really put in work to being kind to herself. You know how everyone says to be kind? We know how to do that online. Well, some of us who aren't trolls know how to do that. But what about being kind to yourself? It is hard work. So how do these guys do it? Similarly to Jade, you know, I have somebody who I speak to, I have a, a counsellor who I speak to, and it took that ability to kind of vocalise how I was feeling about myself and to vocalise the things that made me feel happy to find that my happy place is, is outside. <laughs> I think sometimes like you can go through phases where you forget to be or you almost feel like you need permission to be. I think we live in a world that's fast and there's expectations that you have to work and like it's very, you know, again, luckily through the work I've done, 
I've learned language that's negative towards myself so when I say things like oh I shouldn't be eating that or I should have went a walk today that word should should come up in my head in big red writing because that's not the case at all. Sometimes we do need that permission so when somebody's telling you like take a break you need it don't feel it oh but you should really be working on or whatever yeah. I think there's power and vulnerability most so with yourself and I think particularly for men I know that's a real struggle as well you know I've yeah. had partners who've really struggled with tapping into that vulnerability and I think that's something I've learned is sort of you can't take pride in keeping on going because you're only harming yourself further I think you can be more proud when you're brave to be vulnerable yeah lean on the support around you for me that's been the biggest thing and helping me be kind to myself is just actually be okay with not being okay and I know that's so cliche but <laughs> like the support's there for a reason people don't just say to you just phone me if you need to you know James said that I'll give you my number mate just phone me anytime and then you go I shouldn't have phoned them because they're probably busy and yeah. phone the person mm -hmm. like actually be brave and take it because it's going to serve you and I think that's for me anyway like definitely how I'm kinder to myself yeah just following on from that, how do you think that wider communities can be more supportive to people in recovery and what do you want them to know and understand? I just like people to, to know for this that we're all the same, you know what I mean? Everyone's got life struggles, you know, we just, we, we've not got glass heats in here and we don't know what other person's going through, what they're thinking and stuff like that. I try to be there for other people, help out where I can, you know, because... I've lived that life, you know what I mean? And when I see friends and stuff like that, I kind of know how they're feeling because you just feel totally worthless and you feel like no one wants to help you. And see when you put your hand out to someone else, just seeing someone light up, just taking someone your time, just to go out and go to the shops, go for something to eat, just a wee message in the morning, that really means something to someone. Giving someone your phone number and saying, phone me anytime you want, you know, and just having a conversation is what it's all about, you know what I mean? Because we, we think we have to do this ourselves, you know. I always thought I had to do this myself. I'd be like isolated in my room thinking, no one wants to know me and no one, no one cares and all that. And that's delusional stuff, you know what I mean? My, my mind was playing tricks on us. But until I picked up that phone and phoned someone and started reaching out, then I... I seen the bigger picture that people did care yes. and it did what it was. But I don't believe for a second that MD wants to grow up and be an addict or have to go through recovery. And I think that we need to respect the differences we have in our upbringing. You know, for James, like he said, for him it was at school and need to fit in. You know, well, what's the root cause there then? That's where we need to be looking, not at individuals. It goes back to what I was saying earlier about respecting people and our differences. And I think that's a message that really needs to be shared. You know, we can say be kind and stuff, but what does that really mean? Like, it's about actually teaching respect. We have similarities in our differences, but we're all unique and we need to celebrate our uniqueness and really, like, fight for equality. And, and I really mean that. We can see the root causes of people falling into this. It's abusive homes, it's not fitting in at school, it's, you know, many people like James will have the same story where there's mm -hmm. a root cause to it. They've not just mm -hmm. went, you know what, I just started drinking one day and then all of a sudden I was an addict. There's something that's happened that's been a negative experience that's driven people to that. And I think the more we start to look at what are the root societal causes, then the quicker we'll be to having a healthier society where we don't judge one another. 
Oh, Jade, I'm out here waiting for the day where we stop judging each other for things that we might get wrong. That's why my take on cancel culture is that it's not real. It's not real. We're all human and we'll all make mistakes. So nobody should be canceled for small errors. Claire's all about embracing the things that life throws at her. I've grown in confidence because I know that every time I hit a hurdle now, I think, you know, I've hit hurdles before. I can get beyond that. And also I know it's not about doing it on your own. And I'm a person that I, I quite often will try and do things myself because I just think I've got to get that, I've got to solve that and sort that. But I've actually realised increasingly as you grow that you've got to work with people and, and make those connections and work with your community. And community could be your pals or it could be your local authority, it could be clubs that you're part of, doesn't really matter. I feel like the Skylock 9 is all about second chances. But it's actually about third, fourth and fifth chances. It's an ongoing process. James said it himself, you know, he was in and out of recovery a few times. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it'll be the 70th time that the person's in recovery and then it's just, it's happened for them. What we try and do is ensure that that door is always open for people because we really make sure that it's personalised. We don't just see it as, oh, that's one of our participants. We go, that's James. We see people for who they are. You know, ultimately, the heart of this project is a Skylark 9 boat. What that little boat's story and the spirit of that boat has done for people today, you know, some people mm -hmm. might not quite understand, how can you be working with people in recovery? How does that connect? And, you know, we found ourselves having to explain that to different groups and stuff. And then it's just quite amazing when it all comes together. You just think what that wee boat done and what that meant to people enough that here we are sitting today. The opportunities we've had within this project, you know, my image has been projected onto Stonehenge, James has been awarded for a Marsh Volunteer of the Year award and stuff, you know, there's been a multitude of amazing personal milestones and goals being hit. She's sort of anchored, you know, as getting funding and sort of being able to engage people locally and yeah, it's her recovery for her recovery and it's pretty cyclic. So we're grateful to the boat. Man, if this boat could tell her own story, you know, you almost feel like you can yeah. <laughs> hear the whispers of the Skylark name when you're next to her. So I think there's an element of magic almost, but there is something special about this project. There really is. And I think anyone involved in it feels that. So it's, it's really great to be a part of. Yeah. Can you hear the whispers of the Skylark 9? Why do I feel like she would be singing in a later song? You know the one, if at first you don't succeed, dust yourself off and try again. I wonder how she would feel about the idea of recovery through recovery. I bet she doesn't even realise that she's a symbol of recovery and resilience, inspiring people to make positive changes in their lives. She's helped people make authentic connections, realise their potential and give them opportunities for a better tomorrow. And you know what? It's all thanks to the players. No, not those kind of players, the National Lottery players. They raise £30 million a week for good causes like the Skylock 9 Recovery Trust. And that is where amazing starts. <laughs>